Hi everyone, I'm Johanna Beresford from Indiverse Company and I'm really pleased to be joined by Lisa Burrows in our second podcast series on behaviour change. Lisa is an organisational development psychologist and over the last 15 years has worked with a real range of organisations to drive lasting behaviour and culture change. Central to her approach has been helping managers communicate their message in a clear and compelling way. And Lisa is currently working as a behaviour change expert and coaching psychologist for East Sussex County Council. Lisa, it's fantastic to be joined by you today. And maybe if you could just share a little more about your, your background and work experience. Sure. Hi, Johanna. Thank you very much. Yes, yeah, so I'm um, an organisational psychologist um, and I, I suppose I've, I've, I'm currently working with East Sussex County Council. But as you say, over the last 15, 20 years, I've been working as a change consultant with a right, very wide range of both public and private sector organisations. And I came into the field primarily working in communications and looking at how to how to kind of motivate and inspire people to kind of adapt and change their behavior um, and then as I became more interested in the kind of psychology of, of the way in which people work um, I suppose uh, you know as my interest to develop and, and and as also I went through the occupational psychology training I really became much more interested in helping organizations develop the capacity for change and those are two very key elements of behavior change but there are there and they sit really closely together and often when we're going through big change programs, we kind of forget that you need to address both of them at the same time. So it's really important that they're both kind of really integrated. And thank you so much for that, Lisa. And building upon that, um, why is it that you think communications is just so central um, as as part of that, that behaviour change piece? Because I've often seen it in organisations where it's been the afterthought to a change piece of work or it's you know very often comes at, at the end of the process as we're about to go into it um whereas i think it needs to become much more central at the outset when we're really thinking around a, a change piece yeah you're absolutely right it very often is that sort of okay we've done all the, the work we've worked out all the processes we've restructured the organization now we just need to tell everybody what's going to happen and what they need to do differently which is exactly the wrong way about going about uh, you know change because what you're not doing there is really getting people to understand and, and motivating people to change so i mean essentially people only change their behavior when they feel motivated to do so and when they have the capacity to do so. So communication is all about building that motivation for them to change. So you're increase, increasing their awareness of why the change is needed. You're helping people understand what the change will look like you're, and, and removing that uncertainty and the ambiguity around what, what it is that they're going into. So you know, you're taking away the fear that they might have that's going to be kind of putting up the barriers to them changing. But also really importantly, you're building trust in the leaders who are leading that change you know the, it's really important that people see that they are behaving with integrity in order for people to feel like okay actually the direction that they're taking us in is one that i've you know they're trustworthy there's one that i feel is going to be is going to work out um so all of those elements are all really important as 
important features of the communication and, and actually need to be delivered in very different ways. And so mm -hmm. if you come at it right at the end, as you were describing, you're missing out on a huge amount of the kind of process that leads up to being able to really engage people and motivate people, because actually so much of that is, is stuff that has to be done a long time before that change process is ready to be launched. Uh, yeah, absolutely, um, Lisa, and some really important points that you touched on there. And one right at the start when you were speaking of, um, and I think that this is so often missed by leaders, is building the capacity for people to change. Um, and I don't know if you have any examples of, of ways in which leaders can really help in the communications, but more broadly as well, how do you create the right amount of capacity to allow people to change? So when we're talking about capacity, I think we're talking about a number of different things. It's whether or not people have got the skills, you know, mm -hmm. do they do they have the right skills and knowledge in order to be able to kind of move to change in that way? But it's also about their, their confidence. You know, is this something that they feel that they can actually embrace? And so, you know, a big part of that early stage of that communication is leaders having those conversations with those teams and helping them to kind of think about what, it, what is it that they need to do differently and what they need to in order to build up that capacity. So, you know, um, you know, there's, for example, you know, in, in this whole um, COVID environment, we've suddenly had this situation where people have had to learn how to use video conferencing facilities, which they, you know, many people had never used before. Um, and so actually, it's a, you know, there was a lot of resistance to that in the early days in, in you know, certainly in our organisation. And that was largely down to people just feeling like they didn't feel comfortable with the team, with the video on or they didn't know how to use the equipment. So it's very much about helping people build up the skills in order to be able to do that. And then in and then once you've done that, people, OK, OK, right now. So now I need to build up the confidence. And, and then you're starting to help people understand what the benefits are for them joining and connecting by video you know this this is just kind of one example but with all kinds of change it's about taking people through that process of change mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and building on that last point that you made lisa i think it's a really important one on um this the the process that we go through is change and and often what we see happen is that as a leader because you have been aware and you've been building up to that change, you will have had many conversations already. You've gone through a lot of that um, already. So in, and, and how do we kind of engage managers, leaders and teams to really build trust and recognising that everyone's at a very, very different starting point? Um, and are there any really effective ways in which you can create collective buy-in at those different points within an organization when you're when you're going through um, a significant change i mean my my view on this is really it's all about having quality conversations and really being respectful of where you know you mentioned earlier johanna about the fact that everybody's coming from a different point of view and absolutely i mean you know i've i've been i've done exactly the same myself where you know we've been i've been trying to lead the whole movement towards a hybrid organization for east sussex county council and having hundreds of conversations and then you suddenly realize that outside of that little bubble where you've been talking to people about it there are huge numbers of people in the organization 
organization who have no idea what a hybrid organization actually means and what the implications are for them. And so actually when you're starting to, you know, maybe you need to have the conversations about, well, this is the type of change we're aiming towards. But when you're actually then starting to roll that out across the organization, you're having to have quality conversations with everybody in terms of understanding what the impact is likely to be for them um and, and what you know what is it that they see they can get out of you know what what the benefits are for them in terms of working in those ways and then really building on that um but also being able to take on board those differences and and think about how you can adapt you know this is you've got to go into it with an with an, a very open mind and thinking okay some of those ideas and principles that we've agreed they were they were fine when we were thinking about them thinking them through within a very small group of people but actually when you're looking at the wide complexity of lord large organizations that may not necessarily kind of fit and so actually looking at how you can tailor and adapt those principles for each of the different kind of nuances within the organization is really really important so as i say so for me it's all about having quality conversations and continuing to have those quality conversations reaching out to people getting people to feel that they are actually having an opportunity to input into what that final destination looks like as it were you know where is it that you're going and, and how can each person feel like they can help shape what that change is going to look like ultimately and i think that that point there in around allowing the space for everyone to really feel like they're shaping it is is so powerful in, in gaining trust. Um, and I wanted to, to touch upon something um, else really with regards to driving successful behaviour change within, within an organisational um, context. And why is it so often important that we have a burning platform to help people understand what we need to do um, and, and to really kind of build that collective buy-in? I think the question about the burning platform is really important. I mean, what we've seen through this COVID pandemic is, you know, I, I don't know, uh, um, you know, certainly in my organisation, um, before the pandemic, we were having conversations about how we can get more flexible working because we knew that flexible working would improve the the, the ability for people from different um, backgrounds and genders to uh, to move into more uh, see more senior leadership roles. Um, and those conversations were, you know, always slightly, you know, stilted and restricted. And the minute we had this COVID pandemic, there was this enormous burning platform in which everybody suddenly shifted. Um, and I think that the, the, the question around the burning platform is it, it creates a, a common ground on which everybody has an understanding of why the change needs to happen. So often you have to, you know, when you're thinking about things like inclusion diversity, people don't always have that common ground. People are, you know, it's something like inclusion and diversity um, affects people in very different ways. And so there isn't that kind of common ground, there isn't that burning platform. But when you're thinking about a big change program and, you know, say, for example, a merger or an acquisition, that burning platform exists. Everybody's in this together. So we know that that, cha that change is going to happen. And there is something that needs to happen, we need to do in, in order to ad uh, um, adapt to it. Um, so, so actually creating a burning platform for those areas where, you know, there, there is there is currently no 
common ground is a really key part of how you can help to kind of stimulate that conversation and and you know i suppose you know what we've had is some some real disruption that's created that burning platform and and, and that we need to try and think about the principles of that in in other areas of kind of behavior change as well and that's such a an important point i think on you know how do we really start to to, to build to build that um and I was wondering if you've got any examples of, you know, a case study um, or a particular piece of, of, of work um, that, that really illustrates that point. So, yeah, so in terms of the um, in terms of the burning platform, I suppose, as I mentioned, the 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 shift to hybrid working that we're going through as an organization is a really clear example of how that burning platform has helped address some very major significant change that we are, we are undergoing. Um, and obviously people are coming at it from very different points of view. We've got an organization where some people are, are not able to work um, in a hybrid way because we've their frontline staff, but we've also got some people who can you know, only ever need to be, a, um, who now are saying, well, actually we don't need to be going into the office at all. Um, and so obviously what we're trying to kind of do is create an environment where people are appreciating the fact that actually we're going into the office for a particular purpose and what is that purpose really what's emerging is the real reason that we're going into the into the office is to connect and for those kind of social connections and and how important those social connections are for the fabric of the organization and the culture um, of the organization in terms of being able to hold together all those values and beliefs that 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 we have in common so while we had this massive change to all working remotely, we're now trying to go through another change where we're trying to adopt a different way of working, a third way, which is the hybrid way. And actually the burning platform for that is very different for very different people within the organization. And that's where you're starting to see a very di you know, some divergence in the different approaches that people are taking and, and also seeing some pockets of resistance um, because not for not not everybody feels the need to return to the office, and and for some people actually there's a lot of anxiety about returning to the office. And you know another example I suppose that that I've really seen emerge through the COVID experience is a massive change in the way that um, we've responded to people with neurodiversity. I think in the workplace mm -hmm. before the pandemic that we had a lot of very high functioning people with neurodiversity who were able to do their job in a way they were you know they were highly productive and effective in what they were doing but having a very very fundamental shift in the way that they were fulfilling their role um, and the, the kind of network of support that they had around them highlighted some of the kind of bigger challenges that they were experiencing um, and so in a way that's created a kind of burning platform for us to kind of say, actually, we really need to address um, neurodiversity within the workplace. We've had a lot more people who are asking for assessments um, and who are asking for support. So we I'm doing a lot of coaching to support people with, with a whole rate, all the different range of different neurodiversity um, conditions. And so really sort of thinking about, this is now becoming more of a, a kind of a norm you know we're getting to a point where we're sort of saying well actually it's it's it you know what is neurotypical in this organization and and we need to make much greater allowances for people generally to be able to approach the role that they're fulfilling 
in a way that works for them as individuals, rather than saying, well, this is a role that when it's fulfilled by a neurotypical person or somebody who has no mental health issues or somebody who has no disabilities, then this is what we would expect in terms of output and performance. And actually, we're now moving away from that concept of a kind of a neurotypical job role so that we can kind of allow for individual differences in the way that roles become. But that's a massive, that's a massive mindset shift for leaders, actually, because it's not about try creating a job description and saying, right, this is what I want in terms of outcomes from that job description. It's about who is it I've got on my team? What are the different skills and, and, and the abilities within that team? And how do I ensure that the output of the team is fulfilled by the range of skills and experience I have in that in that field? And so, you know, with this is a big change in behavior. And it's one that, again, is being facilitated by building awareness around the different ways in which um, people have responded to, to, to COVID. Mm -hmm. And, and um, what you just said there, Lisa, I think is so, so powerful because I was, as you were talking, one of the questions I was going to ask was, how do you start to then measure from, you know, from a perspective of kind of th this distinction often um, that I look at and when we're working, we think of, of, you know, thinking about outputs rather than it ha you have to be working in, in, in a certain way because we all work in different ways that allow us to perform and operate at our best. And actually, I think we have made some great progress in many businesses, not in all, but in many businesses in actually becoming quite aware that we we can be operating in a really different way from one each one one another that allows us to both perform at our best um, as long as we're then you know delivering on the things that we, that we that we need to but at this point that you just made um, there and I think that that's very unique and I see that I don't see huge examples of that as starting to think collectively around outputs and therefore the you know really really building upon the strengths of the diversity within a group and we talk so often about this of you know making sure that we're leading around strengths and putting people into roles where they're performing at strengths but actually you're taking I think it one step further of saying no longer look at outputs at an individual level but outputs at a group level, a team level, um, and I'd be very interested to, to hear, Lisa, if there's, if if you've taken that any further, further still in terms of thinking around structures from a kind of an employment relationship structure, because then that questions very much, you know, how do we compensate? How do we reward? How do we performance manage? How do we talent manage? How do we succession plan when we're thinking very, when we're thinking less on the individual and, and more on the team? I think that we're very much in our early stages of that journey in terms of being able to think about what we need to do. And, and when I say that, really what we're doing at the moment is, is looking at the culture, because in order to be able to do that, you need a very, very specific type of leadership style to make that effective. And I think one of the things that's been brilliant about working in this remote way is it's really highlighted that actually the kind of command and control for style of, of kind of autocratic leadership does not work when you're working remotely. 
You know, that you, you cannot be there to watch and monitor. Monitoring and controlling is not going to get the best out of staff working remotely. So that so people expect and desire more autonomy in the way that they work in order to be able to get the best out of, you know, in order to be able to get great, better levels of performance and, and high levels of, of well-being. And so leadership style needs to respond to that by becoming more um, kind of authentic and more empowering of individuals. And so actually a huge part of our work is around identifying in those teams where there are differences. Okay, so what is the leadership style that will help you get the best out of this team as a whole? And often that is about helping them shift their leadership style to be more of a kind of, you know, using more of those coaching techniques. So there's showing a little bit of genuine inquiry and curiosity. Um, and there's they're really helping a bit of kind of reflection within the team um, and, and helping the team think collectively rather than rather than rather than um, emphasizing individual kind of difference, individual differences and individual um, competition. It's really about creating that kind of collective uh, ownership of those goals. So we're very much at those early stages. And I think what we're doing at the moment is, you know, we're, where there are people who have ident you know, identified problems, we're going and tackling those, those teams at, an, at a kind of small group level. Um, and I think only by doing that, we're uh, kind of more, more and more frequently, we're learning about the kinds of things, the challenges I think that leaders have when they're saying exactly as you describe. Okay, so you know, but I've ultimately I've got a job that needs to be done. I'm I've got very limited resource. How can I do that? And, and, and unfortunately, I'm still hearing leaders say, "Well, really, I just need them to be." I think they're very good at data processing. So, and I don't I don't know if this job is really right for them. And so it's you know, my, part of my job is coaching them. And to think about that in a very different way and having taking a completely different mindset about, OK, so how can you build strength? How can you build capacity amongst the, the individual, but also support across the team so that the team as a whole is 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 um, is meeting the overall objectives? And, and again, going back to remote working again, this is this has been a key part because we can't do that presenteeism. We've got you know, we can't monitor what people are doing on a day to day basis. There has been a shift towards thinking about outcomes um, for the on the individual level. And it is then by default, we're going to start emerging more and more where people are thinking more in terms of outcomes mm -hmm. at a group level. But it is, you know, it is very difficult. And for some people, and I think, you know, in some areas that are very process orientated, perhaps like finance, for example, those types of organizations or types of teams find it much more difficult to think in outcomes and you know it's been really interesting for me when I've you know I've been sort of saying to team leaders okay so think about what are the outcomes how can you define the outcomes and then think about how well how do you monitor well not monitor performance but how do you support people kind of deliver against those outcomes and their innate their automatic responses well I need to be knowing what tasks they're doing on a daily day day-to-day -day basis and then I say well actually this isn't about task monitoring yeah. You need to shift out of task monitoring into that supporting role of, okay, so what challenges are you encountering? How can I support you to achieve those goals and objectives? And it is about releasing a little bit of control and empowering other individuals to be able to come up with those solutions and those, those goals themselves. 
Um, and and your your role as a leader is about creating that environment where that can where that can take place. So that you know that is really important. Whether you're work whether it's about remote working remotely or whether or not it's about um, creating an environment which is able to embrace all sorts of differences within that group. No, absolutely. And um, Lisa, I wanted to touch on one final um, question and a point of really of, of, of reflection um, and we've touched a lot around teams creating a burning platform how do you get collective buy-in buy recognizing that people are at different points um, but thinking about uh, from a individual perspective is there any advice or um particular kind of guidance or, or tips of if an individual is is facing a, a time of uncertainty or going through some significant change and I think when we're thinking at an individual level that can be at an organizational context but also it could be just lots of different things happening in both a personal and professional perspective what ways in which they can communicate upwards, because we've talked a lot around kind of communication from leaders and from managers, but what ways can people communicate effectively when they are going through periods of, of, of uncertainty to help make sure that they're kind of receiving the support and they're going to most successfully go through that process of change? I think that's, I mean, it's a really key one, isn't it? Because ultimately, if you're in an environment where you feel powerless when you're going through change, all that does is aggravate the anxiety that you experience around the uncertainty you're going through. Um, so I think it is about being really proactive and talking to the, the people you know, whether it's your peers or whether it's your superior, uh, you know, your supervisors or leaders about the different concerns you have around the, the changes that are going on. Um, but I think it's also about trying to create a healthy dialogue. So this isn't this isn't about trying to um, everybody has their sort of immediate negative responses and resistance to any kind of change. And that's a very natural human part of change process. Um, and actually, we, I suppose, as a collective individuals have a responsibility to think about, well, OK, this is this is my anxiety. But what what is it that I need in order to be able to go through this change process and understand what is required of me in order to be able to adapt? And I think if you can articulate what it is that is making you feel particularly anxious is it the fact that you know your job is at risk or is it the fact that you don't really have the capacity you don't know what skills are going to be needed of you you don't know how your job is likely to change i think it's really important for us as individuals to actually really be clear and that's where coaching can really help you know through change because actually you're helping individuals develop their own awareness about what it is that sits behind that anxiety that sits behind that resistance to change. And only when you as an individual can really understand that, then you can go, okay, well, I understand it's about my skills. So therefore I need to develop, I need to do some training or I need to build some confidence or I need to really focus on my strengths in this particular area in order to be able to move into a place where we're now working in this new different environment. So I think there's some, some of that kind of responsibility around building your own awareness about what it is that's, that's impacting you. Yeah. That's, I think, such 
insightful and really um, fantastic ad advice. Um, and I think there was a, a quote that you made there around this this healthy dialogue. And I think that that again from an individual perspective, really thinking about how do you and how can you help really help with that with that dialogue. And we, you know, when we think around communications, and I think coming back to some of our earlier points in this in this conversation, communications is is never one way. And it is it communications is only ever effective when you're creating a, a real dialogue around a, around a point. Lisa, I wanted to just say um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to speak today. I've really enjoyed the um, conversation um, and I've learned and thought a, a lot around this, this point on communication. And I think definitely I will think over the next and, and coming weeks around this point of how do you really start to shift and help leaders shift in, in thinking around team outputs um, I think that that's that that's very very powerful. Great, thank you, thank you very much, Shonda. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thank you, thank you, Lisa.